On today's show, Cleveland drops game one. Let's break it all down. Everything that went wrong, a little bit that went right, and a little bit of look ahead to game two. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com. That promo code is locked on. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Jake Stevens, as always, is producing an eventful opening weekend of NBA playoff basketball in Cleveland, currently in Milwaukee, in Memphis. A lot going on around the league. Check out your favorite lockdown shows from these other markets if you want to hear about those. But we're here to talk about Cavs-Knicks. Having Cavs drop game one. They are now uh-huh. done 1-0 in the series. To win the series, they will have to go back on the road, win a game in New York. But despite a big Donovan Mitchell game, Cleveland loses to New York 101-97. to in the series opener in their first playoff game since the 2018 NBA Finals. What was your big takeaway from this game? Uh, It was a little disappointing, I think, just considering the narratives around uh, this series and just from the Cavs angle, because this is the team you and I cover. um, Everyone on this Cavs team, whether it was J.B. Bickerstaff, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, to to, on down, Everyone seemed to be saying all the right things. They all seem to be saying, like, listen, um, we realize we've clinched a postseason berth. Like, we can celebrate this in the moment, but it, we're, we're aspiring for much bigger things in the grand scheme of things as well. And the Cavs uh, just kind of came out flat. I, I wrote about this for Write Down Euclid because I'm trying to do uh, game recaps as the Cavs postseason quest unfolds. But it felt like New York kind of sucker punched the Cavs a little bit, and it felt like Somewhat similar to the regular season games, but there's a little a heightened level of physicality to how the Knicks are playing, and the Cavs kind of shied away and shrank from it. And maybe it was the playoff jitters, maybe it's the feeling out process. But other than Donovan Mitchell, it doesn't really feel like anyone else showed up for the Cavs, and it was just a lot of um, tinkering and stinkering. And maybe the Cavs made a little bit of a last cast effort at the end there, but it felt like too little, too late at the end because they held that lead for all of a couple possessions and then New York took it back and then never looked back at the end of it. This was a game where I, I I felt like everyone on Cleveland side just made lots of mistakes. I don't know if you can chalk it up to nerves. I don't know if you can chalk it up to Knicks. Stuff. I think it's probably a combination of both. I think there were things that the Knicks did, Evan, that, you know, really hit on some of the Cavs weaknesses. Like I, I was going back and watching clips on Sunday and one mm-hmm. of the clips I was First, just crushing through the offensive rebounds that Nick Scott. And one of them is Karis LeVert is... It, I, this play like isn't my play of the night, but it, it kind of encapsulates like really this game to me. So Jalen Brunson in the third quarter takes a, a three from the left wing. And mm-hmm. Karis LeVert is guarding Josh Hart. So he's, Mitchell's guarding Brunson. He does a pretty good job to, to contest it. LeVert's job in that situation is to stick his butt into Hart and prevent him from crashing from outside the three-point arc on the opposite wing of the shot. Getting mm-hmm. in, he he's looking at the ball. He's not tracking Hart, and he's just he's ball watching, and he misses him. Hart ends up getting it in, 
And I, you see Isaiah Hartenstein give this little pump fake on the back end of the play. And there's just like little stuff like that. Or uh, he put mm-hmm. his arms up in celebration like he won the heavyweight world title. And there's just a bunch of stuff in this game where it's like the Cavs made mistakes. And that, that included Mitchell, too. He ran through like four of them in his postgame press conference. There was the 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 foul, him trying to draw a foul at one point, I thought was just like a pretty silly move by him in that point. But the, the Cavs were not sharp. The Cavs were not playing into like what we the best that we've seen of them, not playing to their identity. And mm-hmm. the Knicks were sharp and they were exactly kind of what you'd expect them to be. I agree with that. I'm I'm curious to see maybe what the narrative or just what people or the general vibe is rather um, at practice on Monday. The Cavs did cancel their practice availability on Sunday, which is great for me because I had personal plans. But I am curious to see what the, the what the mood is and just a general vibe uh, come Monday. I feel like, again, the Cavs are saying the right things post game. Darius Garland is saying, like, listen, we got to go out there and play a little bit more physically. J.B. Bickerstaff said, like, hey, this is a learning experience. We can grow from this, but like we need to match that physicality and kind of impose our will on them and kind of rough them up a little bit. And like you said, Donovan Mitchell broke down a lot of the stuff that went wrong and we can get to the nitty gritty of it and like what exactly went wrong in the upcoming segments, whether it's offensive rebounding or the bench rotations or anything in between. But I'm curious to see what the Cavs do adjustment wise and just how they kind of respond in game two, because I'm not overly concerned right now because that's the beauty of playoff basketball it's not just over after one game uh, in the nba it is in the g league but it's not at the uh, highest level in american professional basketball but i will be a little bit more concerned if the Cavs come out looking the same way in game two and they somehow end up going to the garden down two games to nothing to the knicks and i think that's where you start to maybe raise that get the red flag ready to be raised but for now, I'm not too overly concerned, but there were a lot of issues and it's a lot of stuff that you and I broke down either together or the guys that locked on Knicks or like, hey, the Cavs are weak at these few things. Um, New York is really good at exploiting them. Hopefully the Cavs can find a way to mitigate it. And at least in game one, it certainly didn't feel that. You know, you run through the list of players in this game. I, I thought, Evan, one of the things that was really I think like the the big problem was I you know I, I aside from Mitchell I it's hard you're hard to tell me that anyone played particularly well like Garland no. you know, he's seven to thirteen but like he he has you know uh, he has more turnovers and assists you know Dean Wade Rick Rubio get minutes in the first half they are cast to the bench for the entire second half like Coro I thought like played pretty well in the defensive side of the ball and he took the open shots and he moved well coming off of the knee but he was oh four from three like that's not going to cut it. Evan Mobley in his first playoff game, you know, had started off strong with a big left-handed dunk and then kind of wasn't himself for that. Jared Allen, I think, thoroughly got outplayed by Mitchell Robinson. And and look, the Knicks are deep. This is That is a really solid team. Tibbs is doing a really good job at that team. I, I think aside from Mitchell, who was 14-30, 6-16 from three, 4-6 from the line, eight assists, three steals, um, and, and was really the guy to be the most assertive for Cleveland. There was no, there was no one else that kind of played up to them. Was like Karis Levert was not the guy that we'd mm. saw had seen at the end of the regular season. And look again, was that nerves? Was that stylistic thing? Was it, was it a combination? I, I think we're going to find out. I think as with the series goes on, what this is, this, this, this leads me to kind of the last thing, which is Evan, does this, did this game in any way tilt kind of what you thought about the series coming in? Not necessarily. Uh, I need more footage, I think, to kind of have a better understanding 
Um, again, I, I want to see what adjustments or changes the Cavs maybe make because, like you said, other than Donovan Mitchell, no one was great, but you can't bench the entire roster and just ask Mitchell to do everything. But you do need to find ways to have the rest of the Cavs and just maybe the coaching staff as well meet Mitchell at the summit so it's a little easier on him. And it could be a dramatic swing in things. Like the Cavs could find a way to dig deep and beat the Knicks at home and tie this up 1-1. But again, I'm not overly concerned. I know it's a bit of a a cop-out to say, like, I don't really have a ton of huge thoughts or concerns. But I mean, uh, the overall concerning thing is just the Cavs are flat. And I, I, I wonder, I wish I had the opportunity to ask, like, hey, were you nervous heading into this one? What do you think the jitters played a factor in it? And... The Cavs are a team that hold themselves accountable and they don't make excuses for themselves or one another. And they're just kind of realistic and open about it and losses. And I think that's a little refreshing, maybe signs of the maturity and growth compared to last year. But they still have a ways to grow. I still think there is still room to just improve in general. And it's just the the Knicks are a team that, like you said, are very deep. They're very good at rebounding, especially on the offensive side of the glass. and. They really just kind of did their own thing against the Cavs and kind of did whatever they wanted. And Josh Hart was the X factor for New York, and he really did a lot of things. So did Jalen Brunson, but Josh Hart especially. And I'm I'm curious to see what they do in game two to uh, kind of course correct and maybe swing the series back in their favor. There are things in this game that I think if they happen the rest of the series in a couple games, Cleveland will lose the series. Like Jared Allen cannot just get thoroughly outplayed the way he did. Oh, I, I was going to get to that. Like the offensive rebounding is inexcusable. Yeah. Like, but giving I, up all those second chance opportunities is inexcusable if you're Cleveland. Yeah. But I, I think just even just the way he's handling the ball and catches the way that like Mobley was handling the ball and catches like there's stuff beyond the offensive rebounding that I think is not, you would hope just is like a one game blip, but if it holds like you're, you're in trouble and like seven games is a long time, but it's also can be quick if you're down 2-0 or whatever it's it's weird stuff oh yeah today's episode is brought to you by price picks all you got to do to play is pick two to five players and if they go more or less than their price picks rejections you win if you pick right you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry there's no competing against other players it's just you versus the projections available price picks offers pro- projections on any sport you watch including mlb nba MLB, NHL, the PGA, college football when it's in season, college basketball when it's in season, soccer, the upcoming WNBA season, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, and a whole lot more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. Offer safe and fast withdrawals. Currently operational over 30 states in Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Evan, let's give out some game awards. I, I think for... for look, we have... I mean, yeah, this is a thing we have done the entire season. We know I that know. we we know there are higher ups at Locked On that really like that we do this, and I think it is a good way to kind of unpack the game. So yes, we do have to. Okay. Assertive Chris on a Sunday, brother. Let's go. MVP. It's Donovan Mitchell. There, there's no other Cavs player that played no. well. Really. It's, it, it starts and ends with Donovan Mitchell's MVP for the Cavs. He's again the only player who showed up for Cleveland in this game, and 
he kind of had a bit of a figuring out, especially just probing what New York was throwing at him defensively. But he, I don't want to say solved it, but at least found a way to he's, make it work in game one. I and, think he's got the Knicks pick and roll stuff like defense figured out and unless yes. the Knicks adjust, which it, they did not That's, do two years ago under Tibbs against Atlanta and it got them shredded. If you want a source of optimism, it is that I think Mitchell has already figured out what they're showing him defensively, and he's just going to pick it apart over seven games. Yeah, that's that's my point is if they're able to, I, I would naturally assume the Knicks might will make some adjustments. But if they don't, a Donovan Mitchell's about to eat for the next several games in this series. But it, it, again, it's Donovan Mitchell. And sure, you saw a lot of like encouraging high end plays and maybe the Cavs just kind of trying to meet Mitchell at the summit. I keep saying this, but it's just the way they put it. And it was a case of too little, too late. So hats off to you, Donovan Mitchell. You're Cleveland's best player in this series. You're their best player overall, and you're the best player in game one for the Cavs. Two things that I would say, I think, really, if you aside from the scoring, that I think were really important in what Mitchell did. Number one, if you watch him when it's in between plays, and I know this can be hard to do on television because you don't get to see the full court, but I always try to like look at what guys are doing in between plays. And Mitchell pretty constantly is is clapping. He's talking to guys. He's being the communicator in those moments. He's the, he in that game one. He was the one being like, "Guys, we're fine. We're gonna figure this out. We're gonna we're gonna talk through this and and make it work." That was kind of the he's the guy exuding that on the court when he's there. Secondly, like defensively, this was not Mitchell in Utah at the end of that tenure. Like he got switch on a Jalen Brunson a decent chunk in this game. That the Knicks went for that a decent chunk down the stretch. And Mitchell's not like keeping Brunson from shooting. He's not making Brunson give up the ball. But what he is doing is holding up and contesting shots and not being a blow by. That is a really, mm. really big deal um, in terms That's of huge. Mitchell just showing up. Oh, um, for sure. He definitely yeah. showed up. And uh, this game would have been a lot worse if Cavs didn't have Donovan Mitchell in this one. They, I so. mean, they, they would. Uh, and, they would and, to, the, they, and to your point <laughs> about him kind of being clapping and being the guy like. Trying to keep everyone calm, I think that's just super impactful and a, a change from last year as well. And I think just a bit of a foil to what this Cavs team has because there's such a soft-spoken group of individuals that maybe don't want to get in each other's face and kind of push each other like this. But this is really beneficial for the Cavs long-term with what Mitchell's doing. Yes. All right, let's go to stat of the night. Evan, mine, mine is that Darius Garland had more turnovers than assists in this game. So he has five turnovers and three assists. He did that six times in 69 regular season games for Cleveland. He very, it felt like, especially towards the end of the year, this was a guy that was in full control, that was always going to be trustworthy with the ball, that was not going to make mistakes. He had not had a game with more turnovers than assists since February 24th. That was a pretty long time ago at this point. This to me with the Knicks, like they trapped him early. He commits a turnover pretty much right off the bat, and he just ends up with five and five turnovers, three assists. Garland, obviously, I think you would have liked a little more scoring aggression as well, but they need him to rack up seven, eight, nine, ten assists to keep everything working, particularly if Rubio is not going to play and not be effective if he does play. This was, I think, very, very telling, and just the Knicks threw traps in him. He looked a little bit overwhelmed at times, and there's got to be an adjustment going forward here. I, I agree with you. Um, it's interesting because that was an issue Garland had last season where sometimes he pressed a little too much and he had more turnovers and assists. It was something you had correctly noted just heading into the season. Like, how can Darius Garland kind of level up his game further? Is just being more mindful with the ball, all while being aggressive on offense because you want your franchise point guard to be aggressive on offense and get everyone involved. And 
it is surprising just looking at it now, just 24-ish hours after the fact that he only had one assist in this game to five turnovers. and well, Three he, assists, uh, one in, I believe one in the second half. I have the ESPN box score in front of me. He had 17 points, one assist, four steals, one block, me, five turnovers, fouls. Um, uh, yeah, you're correct. It is one assist, five turnovers. I cannot read without my glasses. I apologize. You're all good, homie. And that's what I'm here for. I'm the cleanup crew. I'm the garbage <laughs> man. I'm, I'm Isaac Okoro. Yeah, in these n- no assists and one turnover in the second half. Seven points. Yeah, it's just that's tough. I think sometimes he becomes a little too passive on offense, but understandably, he, he did say post game that, hey, Donovan had it going and I wasn't going to try and mess up a good thing. So I was just going to let him keep cooking. And I think that's the correct call. But you need a little bit more from Darius Garland. You need a little bit more from everyone not named Donovan Mitchell, clearly, because my stat of the night is the fact that Cleveland only scored 14 bench points to New York's, I'm doing the math here, 37, with the majority of the damage from New York's bench coming from Josh Hart. But Dean Wade, in seven minutes, had two points, and he had, because of two free throws, he hit. Ricky Rubio played six minutes, had zero points. Karis LeVert had played 18 minutes and only had three points on one to seven shooting. Jetty Osmond was the only guy who was effective in terms of bench scoring, but did get picked apart by the Knicks down the stretch um, in terms of just like isolating him in pick and roll scenarios and just kind of taking advantage of the fact that Jetty's not a plus defender. Um, like folks are like beating their chest and like, why isn't Jetty Osmond playing more crunch time minutes? I'm like, yeah, the, the offensive production makes sense. Like yes, the whatever metrics, you know, throw out, it makes sense. But the fact that Osmond gets roasted on defense is something you kind of have to adjust for. But the Cavs need to find some type of bench production or the Cavs just need to find some type of production outside of Donovan Mitchell because, as you had said, the series isn't over if the Cavs go down 2 nothing when they shift focus to the Garden, but it's going to be a lot harder to win on the road, especially in the postseason. You're definitely going to be a lot more rattled um, mentally just because you're down 2 nothing, and you probably were very confident coming into this series just in terms of how much star power you had. So I keep saying this, but the Cavs need to meet Donovan Mitchell and make his life easier because... There could be a situation where he doesn't consistently do this, or maybe New York just hones in their defense more on him, and they force they dare the Cavs to kind of beat them without Mitchell doing all everything on offense for them. But they need to do more, and the lack of bench production was something I was mildly concerned about heading into this series just because New York has a lot of good depth. They have a lot of young legs and come off the bench. They have a lot of guys who just understand what their roles are. And Isaiah Hartenstein, especially like stepping up to the plate was huge for New York, but Josh Hart's the X factor and the Cavs need to kind of find something. And whether that's just pulling the plug on Ricky Rubio and Dean Wade and giving more minutes to Osmond and Levert and or Green and Stevens, like you got to do some tinkering if you're J.B. Bickerstaff to find something to give you some production in those opportunities or moments when you can afford to rest Mitchell. Should also just note, um, Knicks had 17 offensive rebounds. They had an offensive rebounding percentage of 42.3. It's insane. That's it, just... Uh, the numbers are absolutely bonkers. And I want to ask you this. Talk about maybe plays of the night. We um, should. Uh, let's. If you have let's, a question, let's, let's, let's put a let's pin save, in this. Yeah, let's, let's, let's save it for. It. Yeah, let's just do okay. play of the night. Um, I'm just gonna say that Mitchell had a play where he literally just dove on the floor, poked the ball, and he got Jetty a, a layup and leak out. Like the dude was just truly willing to like put it all out there. That guy mm-hmm. is about it. That guy is gonna show up. I, I the Levert, you know, getting cooked on it off and uh, on a trying to block out or not even really blocking out Josh Hart that I mentioned in segment one would be the other one for me. But Evan, what's your play of the night? 
My play of the night is also Donovan Mitchell play. He missed a three-pointer, but he followed his own shot. Again, it's just him being so hardwired and committed to winning. Like He's trying to do whatever he can on every possession. And another good example of this is before I give my play, is just him diving out of bounds to try and save the ball and save the possession. And he said that was his fault. He shouldn't have taken that shot to begin with. And it was an ill-advised play on him. But it's just refreshing to hear a star player say, hey, that was on me. It shouldn't have. It was cool, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. But the fact that he chased his own three-pointer and then stuck his hand in the cookie jar with a dunk, that was just a nice play. I felt like, okay, this is going to be the exclamation point that gets Cleveland back in this game. And it was for a minute, but it was fast fleeting. But at least in the moment, that was a good play. And then another good one was just the Evan Mobley, like behind the back wraparound <laughs> dump off to Jared Allen to open the game. We're like, oh, the Cavs are uh, they're feeling themselves. And then we saw reality crash in. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Look, if you're looking for a delicious snack, but don't want all the sugar and the calories, then you got to try Built Bar. This is the best tasting protein bar out there. They are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing, you don't even think they're good for you. What makes Built Bar so good, you ask? Well, they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That is right, real dark chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. And they have puffs and normal bars as well. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with 17 grams of protein in most bars. And now I don't need to wait to get a box. We've been telling you about ordering Built Bars online at Built.com for years, but now you can order them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. If you go to Walmart today in the pharmacy section, you can get a 4-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you go to a Sam's Club, run in, get a 13-bar box, with hit flavors, brownie batter puff and jura puff. Thank us. Evan, hit me with that question you wanted to ask. So I know Dean Wade wasn't effective, and maybe this is an opportunity to turn to Lamar Stevens in this situation if you just want a bit of a grinder or a guy who at least just, you know, will play hard on defense or just hard on possessions. But with the offensive bounding disparity, just with how New York is able to get so many second chance opportunities, do you think the Cavs can afford to ride to Dean Wade just because he's a bigger body who can provide you some of that glass crashing other than Allen and Mobley in this series? I would be going to Lamar Stevens at this point. I, I, I would too, but I, in my seldom scrolling through Twitter.com today, um, courtside horror victim uh, Justin Rowan was making the case that the Cavs should keep playing Dean Wade despite his offensive struggles just because of the, the the size and the rebounding and I think I mean and I don't think Justin said this but I can understand it just in terms of the shooting stuff but I, I agree with you I just think with Stevens he understands what he is and I think he's just a little more reliable than what Dean Wade provides you right now I, I mean I, I think Lamar Stevens is there's a couple of things I feel like I know about Lamar Stevens and you can you can trust in him. It's that he's going to like body up dudes. He's going to be a physical and that he's not going to like get spooked by the moment. If there was anyone that I, I, I think like looked like overwhelmed with the role guys, it was it was Dean Wade. And he just looked uncomfortable. I, I, I think Lamar like you there's built in offensive warts. It is the same thing with Okora. Where it's like I almost would. I think you got to just like let Okoro guard Brunson as much as you can and kind of you're out. You're going to have moments where Garland is on him or Mitchell or or Jetty. But like I, I think Okor is going to have to guard him a bunch. Um, 
I would be going to Lamar. I, if I was going to go eight guys for game two, Evan, I, I would mm-hmm. say it's like, you know, the five starters, it's Levert, it's it's Stevens, and it's Osmond. Those are my eight. Rubio's going to sit. Dean Wade is going to sit. And you're like, you're not going to Neto. You're not going to Rolo. Like, none of those guys are seeing the benches. The three bench guys are Osmond, Levert, and Stevens. I, I agree with you. Um, and if you have to reach for a ninth guy, if somebody's just not working in the moment, Maybe you turn to Danny Green at that point. And I think that really crystallizes just how thin the Cavs are outside of their top four, maybe five or six players, including Levert. And just the fact that the Knicks have overwhelming depth and kind of can kind of exploit that, especially at the guard spot, because New York did a really smart job of, okay, we're going to deny Donovan Mitchell as much as possible. And then we're going to blitz or double Darius Garland the moment he touched it, crosses the timeline and make him as uncomfortable as we can. And it was effective to start the game. And to your point, maybe Mitchell has kind of figured out what the Knicks are trying to do to him, especially in terms of pick and roll defense and coverage. But in terms of the rotation, yeah, you you punt, you pull the plug on the Ricky Rubio experience. He hasn't been great to finish the year. Um, he was not great in the very limited minutes he played against the Knicks, but the Cavs really sputtered a bit when he was out there. And you have to just find something and maybe just squeeze as much blood from this stone as you can. And Osmond was effective. You reward that play. Uh, Stevens, like we had trust a few times now, is consistent. And you know what he brings you at the end of the day. And like he maybe isn't going to be as disturbed or perturbed or rattled is the word I'm looking for by the moment like Dean Wade was. And yeah, Karis LeVert's your sixth man. I think you try to ride with him and maybe try to empower him a little bit more and you find some line up some ways to maneuver things, but I, I don't envy the position JV Bickerstaff's in. Like he was asked about it post game after game one, like, hey, are you still trying to figure out your rotation? He's like, no, I don't think so. Like I have guys I trust and there's guys I know who can produce. It's just figuring out the best possible units to put out there. And maybe that's a little concerning in of itself, but that's kind of what the playoffs are. Like Tom Thibodeau had seven plus days to tactically prepare to make the Cavs as uncomfortable as possible. Now I need to see how Cleveland responds to what Tom Thibodeau first threw out there. And it's going to be a chess match between those two coaching staffs to figure out what's the best way to make this work. But I agree with your rotation picks. Like you need to just punt on Wade. You need to punt on Rubio and give those minutes to Osmond and Stevens. And then you just keep playing the guy that is able to give you something or because the Cavs did go nine deep in the first half when Rubio and Wade were so ineffective and they, if they continue that trend, maybe you look at Danny Green at that point. Yeah, Danny Green would would be in the mix for me as well. I I wanna we're gonna open Tuesday's show talking about Jetty Osman because I think he deserves more than just like a couple minutes. Oh yeah, near because like he played much the second half. I I want to talk a lot about how he defended about the Brunson stuff because I want like my the the quick take on that for me is that he defended Brunson well. But I would absolutely not in a bajillion years double down on that and think that I would trust that like to, to be fine going forward. What I do think the biggest the, the biggest thing that I felt this coming into the series. I think if the Knicks had an advantage over Cleveland, the offensive rebounding stuff is part of this. Is that that is a team that like has a real core identity that exactly knows who its rotation is, that exactly knows who its role players are and what they do and, and how you can trust them. Cleveland has role guys that I like. Like Levert has had a really like a good year for him. I think he, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, he's had some really great moments. There are things Dean Wade does that I think are good. There are things I think Okoro and and whatnot do well. I don't think any of their bench guys 
the field just as like rock solid, dependable, and kind of baked into their role. And I think it's my like there's a reason Cleveland was one of the teams that year that played its starters the most some of the heaviest minutes in the league. This is a team that has kind of been searching for a bench identity. I think they will continue to be searching for a bench identity. That is the case, obviously, when you have a really solid top four and and those those guys make money and you allocate a lot of draft picks and stuff like that's the, the that's the the price of admission for getting this kind of roster. I think going forward, the one of the big things is going to be to figure this out. But in, in right now in this series, the Knicks just ha- are going to have an advantage of like, hey, this is our eight nine guys. We know what we are. We know what we're going to do. Josh Hart like knows exactly what he is and how he's going to play. Cleveland doesn't exactly have that luxury with its depth. It ju- it just doesn't. No, they don't. And I'm sure folks will circle back to the fact that like the Cavs were in the mix to acquire Josh Hart at the trade deadline, but the Knicks came in with Cam Reddish and the 30th overall pick, I want to say, and gave that to Portland. And the fact that the Blazers were able to get a first-round pick was probably the deciding factor in that trade. Um, but there's a lot of ifs, and if ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk at this point. But then the Knicks have depth. They have the rebounding advantage. I think Mitchell Robinson... Really put Jared Allen to task in this game. Like Allen kicked his well, kicked his butt, kicked, kicked his, his freaking butt. butt. But like Mitchell Robinson is also the best offensive rebounder in the league, and this was something that everyone knew coming into this series. That hey, if you look at the regular season tape, there may not be much to glean from it, but New York definitely kicked your butt on the offensive glass. You should find ways to maybe slow that down. And it's not just Robinson; it's Hart who just has a knack for finding the offensive boards. Uh, it's Julius Randle who got a lot of second chance opportunities, and Randle, even though he didn't have like a fully functioning uh, two legs, like was still effective enough as a player to kind of just one be a heel for the Cleveland fan base, and also two just like be effective enough that. New York didn't really seem like they were so ISO heavy as maybe people thought they were. And again, I, I'm morbidly curious to see how the Cavs course correct and adjust because they could be either going tied up 1-1 into the garden on Friday, game three, or they're down 2-0 and we're having a very different, maybe a bit more sobering conversation about the current state of the Cavaliers. One there. We're going to be back on Tuesday or on Tuesday ahead of game two to previewing that game talking about Jetty Osmond, talking about Jared Allen and some of the other things. And we'll see, you know, any updates from availability and such. I'm Chris. That's Evan. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing. Thanks again to Prize Picks and Bilt Bar for sponsoring today's show. Peace out, everyone. Talk to y'all soon.